0: Thanks for joining Sapelo Nerds, a coastal science podcast. I'm your host, Corinne. And I'm your host, Brittany. And we work at the National Estuarine Research Reserve, or near, on Sapelo Island, a Georgia barrier island. Some of our listeners may think that October would be a better time to talk about our favorite flying mammals, but I think we've got good reason to talk about them in June. Oh yeah, the sky puppies!
1: Summer is actually a great time to talk about one of my favorite mammals, the bat!
0: I'm definitely seeing a lot of bats outside my house now at night.
1: Yeah, in the Northern Hemisphere, bats are actually most active from May to early November. In coastal Georgia, the warm temperatures and abundant insects keeps bats pretty busy during our evenings. But they shouldn't scare anyone hoping to avoid meeting Dracula. Uh, all of Georgia's species are insectivores. No vampires here. They only eat insects.
0: And you've probably heard that one little brown bat can eat a thousand mosquitoes in a single night. That sounds like a lot of bugs in the belly. you think that would stuff them like us after Thanksgiving dinner. But bats are amazingly athletic, even when they're pregnant. Bats mate during the spring and summer, and when females are pregnant, they can eat over their body weight in bugs and still fly all the way home.
1: And Georgia has 16 species of bats, but on the coast there are actually about 9 to 10 species that you can see. These species include the southern myotis, the evening bat, the eastern red bat, the seminal bat, hoary bat, and the
0: big and little brown bats. Many bats are coastal migrants in the summer months, since, as you know if you visited or live on the Georgia coast, we have tons of insects for bats to eat. So they have tons of food and few predators. However, many bat species are at risk, and their numbers are declining. Of the 16 species of bats in Georgia, nine are listed as species of concern on the 2015 State Wildlife Action Plan.
1: Well, some of this decline is due to habitat loss. Many people expect bats to live in caves, and although a lot of species do, a lot of these species in our area live in tree cavities or nest in the Spanish moss, like the Seminole bat. As trees are cleared for development or dead trees are removed from land, bats are losing their homes. And as you might remember from our episode, Ice Brumation, Ice that focused on what animals do in the winter months, many bat species are facing huge losses due to white-nose syndrome already.
0: That's right. That's the, uh, the Pseudogymnoascus destructans fungus. Woo, there you go. <laughs> that's waking bats up in the middle of their winter hibernation, destroying their energy reserves and basically causing them to starve. At some known roosting sites, 90 to 100% of the bats have died due to white-nose syndrome. As of now, white-nose syndrome hasn't made its way to coastal Georgia, and that's mostly because we don't get or stay cold enough for bats to hibernate extensively. Plus, the warmer days we get, sprinkled through our winter months, are warm enough that insects are out, so that's food for any active bats.
1: And while some people may not be concerned with white-nose syndrome because, well, it doesn't directly impact people, but the harm to bats can have a huge impact on us. Bats provide vital pest control and increase nutrients in delicate cave habitats. According to Ed Arnett, the director of programs at Bat Conservation International, Bats occupy a niche that birds just can't fill at night. It's a tremendous benefit to farmers worldwide. Losing the natural pest control services that bats provide to just the agricultural industry in North America would cost anywhere between $3.7 billion, with a B, to $53 billion a year.
0: So to monitor the bat populations in Georgia, particularly on the barrier islands, DNR biologist Trina Morris conducts MISNet surveys. Over the summer months, Morris and her interns spend their nights searching for bats on seven of Georgia's barrier islands. In just one night on Cumberland Island, they caught and released over 100 bats using a 20-foot-tall net set up over a small watering hole. Morris says the bats
1: come to tiny puddles on the island because fresh water is so limited. Morris says the bats come to tiny puddles on the island because fresh water is so limited there. This effort recorded five species of bats, including the tricolored big brown and northern yellow bat, which are high-priority species on the state wildlife action plan. Now, this is Georgia DNR's document that guides efforts to conserve biology across the state. These surveys are important to establish a baseline of bat populations before white-nosed fungus makes its way to the
0: coast. Another way that scientists are working to establish baseline populations is with the anabat system. This system is an acoustic detector that picks up the calls of the various bat species. As many people know, bats rely on eco-location for finding food and for navigation. As they make this call, Anabat records the ultrasonic sounds of the individual bat species, making it ideal for species identification and activity monitoring.
1: Yep, I've actually helped with this project, driving around with an Anabat system on my car and listening to the high-pitched little cheeps of the sky puppies feeding. It's really fun. Georgia DNR supports the Georgia Anabat Acoustic Survey Volunteer Project, and volunteers are needed for both ongoing acoustic routes and for establishing new ones to monitor the bat populations in urban and rural areas of our coast. To check out data from previous year surveys or to volunteer yourself for a route near you,
0: follow the link in our show notes to the Georgia Anabat website. And Annabat actually came out to Sapelo to do a survey. Right near our office, they recorded Seminole bats, evening bats, hoary bats, and tricolored bats. And on the other side of the island, they found big browns and a lot more tricolored bats. Well, I know for a fact there's a big brown and an evening bat on Sapelo today.
1: Maybe two Seminoles at home.
0: You mean the ones that you have in a plastic bin? I sure do.
1: I am assisting the Savannah Wildlife Rescue Center with rehabilitating a couple of bats for the next few weeks.
0: They look so adorable. I just want to snuggle them. But there's a reason I should let you handle them, right? That's right. Hopefully most people know that bats can be a vector
1: or transmitter for rabies. So do not touch or handle any bats that you find in the wild, especially if they're on the ground. While less than half of 1% of U.S. bats have rabies, They are still considered a leading source of rabies transmission to other mammals, including humans.
0: You may think of animals with rabies showing odd behaviors like foaming at the mouth or biting at the air. And it's not as obvious in bats. They show paralysis rabies instead of aggressive rabies form. That's why it's important not to pick up any bats you might see on the ground, unless you're a professional.
1: And I'm technically a bat professional. With a T, not a D, although... Maybe sometimes bad professional would apply recording podcasts in the middle of the day. Mm -hmm. Anyway, I have a a PEP, a rabies pre-exposure prophylaxis, or rabies vaccine. These series of shots allow me to handle and rehabilitate rabies-prone species like foxes, raccoons, skunks, and yep, bats. It's really important to note that rabies only transports from saliva to blood. So you can't get rabies just from touching these animals. They have to actually bite you. The problem with bats is that they have very tiny mouths, so sometimes their bites are unnoticeable. If you come in contact with a bat and are concerned it may have bitten you, it's best to go get a post-exposure rabies vaccine. These vaccines are highly effective with greater than 99% survival after being exposed to rabies. There were no rabies deaths reported in 2019 or 2020, and just five in 2021, which was a pretty unusual occurrence. Most human transmission of rabies actually occurs from domestic animals like dogs and cats. But it's always better to be safe than sorry with a disease that's almost
0: certainly fatal if left untreated. And that's why it's important to call your local rehabilitator for baby bats. And now is the time of year that they might be found. Events like thunderstorms and tree clearings can cause babies to fall out of the nest during the day when mama is not as likely to find them.
1: Yeah, habitat loss is a big problem for our coastal bats. That brings us to our listener question. I heard you guys talking about saving the sky puppies, which is such a cute nickname for bats. I love bats and want to do more to save these
0: awesome bug eaters. What are some ways I can encourage them to come in my yard? That's a great question and an easy one to answer. We've talked a little bit already about installing bat houses, but they are a great way to get bats in your area and reduce your need for pesticides. Bats look for the trifecta of habitats food, water, and shelter. While there are many attracting sprays on the market, they really don't work quite as well as providing a good source of protection, food, and water. We'll include a link in our show notes on where to purchase bat houses for our area and what the best types of houses for your home are. Bat boxes need to be placed high enough above the ground on a sturdy trigger pole, usually about 16 to 20 feet off the ground. They prefer full sunlight exposure on the box during the day to keep them warm and toasty inside. And they can be places around your homes to get rid of pests, but also to prevent bats from going into your attic or crawl space in search of shelter.
1: Yep, and using a bat house and an ultrasonic noisemaker can actually drive bats from inside of your home and safely into a bat house on the edge of your property pretty quickly and humanely.
0: Now, those other two requirements, food and water, are easy as well and are essential to encourage the bats to roost in your box. A small running fountain or pond is a great way to attract bats. They drink on the fly and will dip down and scoop up water, so they typically will not go to shallow bird baths since they might hit the bottom, and prefer 7 to 10 feet of water length to drink successfully. A water trough works well as long as there is a small ramp to allow bats and other animals exit in case of falling in.
1: And for food, well, in coastal Georgia that's pretty easy. During dusk, we have plenty of annoying biting bugs for these guys to
0: nibble. Sure, but you can help increase that by planting a bat garden.
1: Um, Corinne, they don't eat plants. We just established that.
0: I know that. Not for the bats to eat. Pollinator plants like purple coneflower, goldenrod, and night fragrant plants like yucca or sage help attract some variety of pest moths, like the cabbage moth, that the bats then eat. These plants have the added benefit of also feeding daytime pollinators like birds and bees. But don't worry. Bats won't eat the bees since they only come out during the daytime to collect the pollen.
1: Oh, yeah, well, that makes a lot more sense. (laughs) Another way to help is also in reducing your light pollution. Having community streetlights on timers, turning off porch lights, and limiting inside light at night helps not only the bats, but also migrating birds. Previous studies suggested that streetlights were beneficial to bats since they were attracting bugs to a central location for them to eat. However, recent studies conducted by Bat Conservation International showed that most lights only benefit fast-flying species, and most of the bats around our area are impacted negatively due to the timing of lighting. Bats use lighting cues to determine when to begin foraging at night, and with excess nighttime lighting in cities and most suburban areas, bats become disoriented and confused by night pollution, and lighting during the night fragments
0: these networks of established routes that many bats utilize for feeding. And while you might think the bats can just fly around the lights, The problem is these longer routes to avoid lights to get to foraging habitat can increase their energy demand and stress, making them more susceptible to diseases like white-nose syndrome.
1: So, Corinne, you know that bats enjoy a lot of different activities at night, right? Sure, yeah. What's your point? But did you know that their most prominent activity is (laughs) aerobatic?
0: Well, you know why most softball games are played at night, right? Why? Why? Because the bats have to sleep during the day. No. <laughs> For more information about any of the topics we covered today or to submit your question that may be featured in our upcoming episodes, please email us at signer.socials at gmail.com. That's S-I-N-E-R-R dot socials at gmail.com.
1: Thank you for listening to Sapelo Nerds, a coastal science podcast brought to you by the Sapelo Island National Estuarine Research Reserve. Please check back for more episodes released on the 1st and the 15th of each month. And that's the Sapelo Sound.